When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood," she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Trigger warning for discussions of spiritual abuse, child sexual abuse, and trauma of indigenous people. Someplace underneath. That was a thick, thick old series we just did. Ooh, can't wait to get over that and delve into something <laughs> even horriblier. <laughs> is that a word, horriblier? I, it is now. Um, <laughs> it's horriblier than, I don't know. I don't know what the order is. This isn't great. It's okay, but we're um, discussing something that recently came up in the news. So even though it's not a part of a series, like you just said, but yeah. it's uh, important, I think we talk about it. Yeah, especially because it touches back on one of the series's we series. Let's just add, let's add just syllables and consonants to all the words. Make up words. I think the other day I said Argentina, <laughs> like I added an extra N, oh. and I can't go back to saying Argentina. It sounds fake to me. I say cabana a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it makes it sound like you're appreciating the word for longer, mm-hmm. really people can sing into the word. Um, welcome to Someplace Underneath. I'm Natalie Jean. I'm Amber Nelson. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for getting through that last series. I know it was really brutal. I took a nice little breath for a, a day or two before going back in. And uh, before we started the next series, which the one I'm planning on talking about next week, hopefully crossing my fingers that this person will be found and we don't need, even need to do this series. That would be great. But for now, I really wanted to to jump in and just do an overview of because we did Highway of Tears, which we talked a little bit about the origins of residential schools. Right after that, just so happened to be the time whenever this big news story broke, where they had started finding these graves that they are linking most likely to residential schools. Yeah, and it's a lot of people. It's like bigger than my hometown. Yeah, it's bigger than my hometown. So when that news was breaking, even though I knew a little at this point about residential schools, something I didn't know existed at all, like until eight months ago, I didn't really know what was going on with the, wait, what do you mean they all, they've just found them all over the place right now? Like what's happening? Why is that going on right now? And so I wanted to kind of look into what, what that was about and just sort of 
see like why <laughs> why? why 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 are people so horrible why I don't, I don't know just history people are I don't know they have this like fond memory of history and I'm like I don't want to go back in time no the good old days those are all fake no that sucked yeah. it sucked it sucked and all we can do is try to make it suck less as we go through time yes but in important for us to look at what happened and to remember these things because that's how we don't continue to repeat these, hopefully. God, I hope so. Uh, Yeah, so Amber, you're looking right now at a map with me um, of these little dots all across Canada that represent each one as a different residential school that existed. Oh, that's a lot. And there's some at the tippity top. Can you imagine being in not only a residential school, but one at the tippity top of Canada where it's cold as a witch's tit? Well, I hope at least that was the Inuit people up there, that they were people who were conditioned for that environment at that point, I hope. And not just people driven up there on a bus? Yeah. I Usually, I think more than anything, unfortunately, to save money, it was usually kids didn't go that far from their homes. It was not because they cared about seeing no. They could see their families, as we will learn today. But yeah, it's a, you know, it's a lot. It looks like somebody has got uh, a really bad acne. <laughs> like Canada's got bad acne on yeah. this map. And what's that thing in the middle? Is that water? This is water, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. So there's just a bunch of, yeah, there's a bunch of little just pockets. Canada's just all filled with nature. Um, I don't know what this part is called, but it's water. And then there's land, and then some more water, and then some land. Mm. So I uh, will not be a geography teacher. We'll (laughs) we'll assess that here. So again, if you haven't listened to that episode and you have no idea what residential schools are, because if you're not Canadian, you may have never heard of that. These are schools that Canada created to indoctrinate the Native children of Canada into white Christian culture, often by force often involving violence, and this started happening in the 19th century, mostly. And people at that time wrote and said that they treated them poorly. So if people at that time said they treated them poorly, they were treated very poorly. Yeah, because at best, being treated well was poorly. Yeah, at best, being treated well was poorly. (laughs) And that started uh, whenever they were trying to sort of just like strong arm French and British white Christian culture into a place where people had lived for tens of thousands of years. This is how every, I mean, it's not great, but it's how every country basically has been developed at this point through force and violence. But this isn't that far in history. And it sucks to think that we are that close to it. And they still kind of used these methods. I think up until the 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, We had initially said on Highway of Tears that it was the 70s, but that was only in the area that we were talking about. The schools were only shut down completely in the 90s, like across Canada. So they weren't boarding schools at that point, but, you know, they still existed and I'm sure they weren't uh, ideal. No. (laughs) So... These kind of schools, these high control kids boarding schools, those like reform schools almost, they aren't exclusive to Canada, nor are the only victims of these types of schools solely from indigenous communities overall. But residential schools are unique in that they were created specifically for native children and native children alone. And what's being uncovered right now is just such it's just beyond words. It's so awful and so sad. Ripped from their families, forced to speak a different language. Everything generationally that was taught to you is ripped away. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I was reading stories where people were, these children were so bored or isolated at some point, they were just walking in circles. 
That's all they could do is just walk in circles. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about what their lives were from the words of people who went through that today. It sounds like being bored would be the best case scenario in some of these situations. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Ugh. But if you're a kid, that's like starving them of oh, yeah. life. So if you're not familiar with, again, with this news story that's been breaking since May, this is according to the National Post. Since May, more than 1,300 suspected graves have been uncovered near the sites of former Indian residential schools, 215 in Kamloops, British Columbia, 182 in Cranbrook, BC, 751 in Maliville, Saskatchewan, and more than 160 found on Penelicut Island, BC. Can you imagine like finding those graves? I don't know the the horror of people even that found them. Yeah. Well, fortunately, well, not fortunately, but we'll talk about how they found them. And it, it at least wasn't a thing where they had to see the, they just found bones. It's They used a little bit of a different technology. So that's, I guess, good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It makes me, okay. I'm glad you're doing Brighter Side right after this, Amber. You're recording the, the show that is about being happy. Being happy and positive. Right. We make jokes on in discomfort sometimes, but this is, it's really hard information. So what information is available right now? They can't confirm that all these burial sites are directly from residential schools because there hasn't been enough forensic testing. And that was going to be a really daunting task. But First Nations people are insisting that these are not mass graves, but instead completely unmarked graves. So that is to say, these are not from one big event that killed everyone at once, like some battle or some form of burial ground, but bodies that were buried individually with no markings. And just a slow burn yeah. over centuries. And if the First Nations people say this, I would believe them because yeah. they went through it. Yeah. And they, uh, you know, they're saying right now, we can't say with certainty that this is what they are, but they are located right by residential schools and they are unmarked. So it's very likely going to be from residential schools. This is also from the National Post. Given the soaring mortality rates at certain schools, coupled with the scattershot record keeping of school administrators, Truth and Reconciliation Chairman Murray Sinclair has estimated that total deaths could realistically range from 6,000 to 25,000. Oh, my God. Well in excess of the 3,200 deaths that the final report was able to confirm through documentary evidence. So... And this is a lot like when we were talking about Highway of Tears, how they have a certain number of missing women listed, but it's probably much higher. Yeah, because children were probably born into a community, mm -hmm. no social security number, and then just kind of thrown into this school and then just another number. Literally, as we'll get into, some of them were renamed numbers. What? In these schools. Yeah. So... The childhood death rate here is wildly higher than the white children from these generations, and we're going to get into why in a minute, other than the obvious. Um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was part of the agreement in the settlement that we discussed on the Highway of Tears, where there was some monetary compensation for the survivors of these schools from the government. I mean, come on. I mean, yes, monetary compensation is good, but you just took my whole culture and my people and— yeah decimated it? And what, are you going to pay me like a McDonald's gift certificate? I mean, pretty much. And, and Fuck it, you. I know. And then when we were talking about it on Highway of Tears, in order to do that, they would have to go in front of a courtroom and describe their traumas. So 
a lot of people, especially, you know, maybe like some guys who felt a little uncomfortable talking about those sorts of things just didn't take the money because they didn't want to relive it publicly, yeah. you know? And it's it's hard. Sometimes even, even if you know you went through stuff, you haven't maybe had therapy or a way to even talk about what's happened before, let alone in front of a group of strangers, yeah. you know? It was this commission that really brought to the forefront the actual genocide that occurred to the First Nations people when the investigation closed in 2015. So the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, they were basically brought together to collect all the data and information from all this and to put it into like one space and and come up with conclusions about what the actual scope was during this time throughout the entire existence of residential schools. In 2015. Yeah. What was going on in 2015? Britney Spears? It was like right before, it was like the presidential election with Hillary and Trump. Oh my God. Time yeah. is so crazy. <laughs> I thought 2015 was like 1996. <laughs> no, it's just... No. It's when I met my husband. Oh. Yeah. And you, actually. I'm sure I met you that year. Oh, just a year full of insanity? Yeah. 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 So this is that same time period. Throughout the 20th century, even when the family was notified of ADC's child in this community, the schools wouldn't ship the body back by train to the families because of costs, which is just, it's so ghoulish. It doesn't, it sounds like a, a movie villain. Like they took their kids and then they wouldn't even give them their bodies. They have enough money to make these schools and to provide the teachers, but not enough to ship the bodies back? Of the kids that they basically the that they neglected. Killed? Yeah. They killed those kids. Definitely through mostly, you know, even if it's just through neglect and, um, you know, uh, abuse such as we'll get into, even if they didn't take a knife and go, ga ga ga, they did. They did yeah. kill these kids most of the time. So... From indigenousfoundations.ubc.canada, the term residential schools refers to an extensive school system set up by the Canadian government, administered by churches, that had the nominal objective of educating indigenous children, but also the more damaging and equally explicit objectives of indoctrinating them into Euro Canadian and Christian ways of living and assimilating them into mainstream white Canadian society. So I already hate this entire statement what yeah. was just said it just sounds so like on paper bop, 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 but mm. when you think about it put your little thinking cap on mm. what do you mean indoctrinating into this whole different culture what do you mean yeah. this is violence they're just taking violence into like some some uh school rhetoric and making it sound clean cut my question came when i was reading this why is the church running government schools in America, we're supposed to have been founded on separation of church and state, which is a joke in this country, but that's what we're supposed to have been founded upon. So I was like, I was unclear with Canada's setup in that way. It's a little different. And this is me coming from an out, obviously, I'm very much an outsider on this topic, um, but I wanted to bring it from an outsider's perspective because this is how we're seeing this from the outside and un trying to understand how this is happening. Because it sometimes can be a little different when you're inundated inside of it. And then when you kind of, yeah. sometimes it's good to take a look at it from this way too. There was a study where these um, monkeys, I think something happened at the top of a, a pole. They were like in a room. Oh, God, it's more mean stuff people are doing. Something like it's an electrocutic shock at the top of this pole. So then monkeys stopped 
climbing the pole. Yeah. And then even when the old monkeys died and the new monkeys were in and they brought new monkeys in, and if anybody climbed to the top of the pole, the other monkeys would beat them because that's how things are always done. Oh. So that's a definitely, it's like a psychological thing. That's how things are always done. Why are people so fucking horrible? I don't know, Amber. Why? We got to talk about it because then we can all see that it's not the way we should move forward. It and is not the way we should move we forward. We have to know that. And that's okay. We're going to be better. That's what we, me and you, Amber, we're going to not ever do that to monkeys. <laughs> no, or children. And I would like to think any of you out there listening would never do that either. No. So the residential schools, they're set up by the government. They're administered by churches. So what the actual fuck does that mean? What's Canadia's? Let's keep going. I know. What's Canadia's policies? <laughs> Just words that don't make sense, but sound like they do. Canadia? On separation of church and state. So on religion and the secular state in Canada by Rosalie Jukiel and Jose Worling. In Canada, neither state Neutrality in matters of religion or the separation of church and state. It is explicitly affirmed in the Constitution, but the courts have gradually inferred such principles from freedom of religion and the prohibition against religious discrimination. I don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. So in, uh, you know, dumb ladies terms, this is basically saying while the U.S. was like pounding that in at the beginning of the Constitution, like these need to be separated. We are coming here to escape religious persecution, whatever. Canadia, oh my God. Canadian Argentina. <laughs> um, Canada. Canada. Canada uh, was more, uh, it wasn't necessarily what the, the focus of their creation was. It wasn't the same focal point of their constitution. Because they were still in bed with Britain. Yeah. In the so, beginning. Yeah. And so even though, they kind of played by the same rules as the U.S. It wasn't expressly stated that government and church couldn't sort of like high five each other doing everything. And they seem to sort of play off of each other in that way. So essentially it was like choose your own adventure and the church and state chose violence as usual. Yeah. So I don't know. Just let everybody figure it out. And like the figuring it out is killing children. I think. Yeah. You and, should have some rules in there. Yeah, we'll hear. And, and I mean, they, we'll talk about this politician who has openly basically said that. So it wasn't until 1982 that something was added officially that you can't force someone to be part of your religion. 1982? We were yeah. wearing stonewashed jeans then. Yeah. Yeah. So even though they kind of were going like, oh, yeah, we shouldn't do that or whatever, there wasn't anything in their base of their country that said that on You mean paper. when Back to the Future was being filmed? Yes. People were like, convert or die. Yeah, I mean, they, they were allowed to by the, the laws placed out in Canadian Constitution. Wow. It wasn't expressly said you can't do that, essentially. So that is to say Native people had very few rights and still really don't, but definitely not then. Everything that I've been reading on it seems to not be as much – like the religions part didn't seem to be as much of like a, you know, a focal point of topic in Canada as it is in the U.S., even though it seems pretty important. This is clearly a wide, sweeping, complicated situation with no easy answers. But I do get the impression that while this 1982 amendment to the Constitution made it technically illegal to force Christianity or any religion on a people, that any sort of benefit to indigenous people was sort of a side 
concern. It wasn't really addressed full on. They were sort of in that, oh, yeah, we probably shouldn't do that anymore if we're going to put this all together, you know? It was, yeah. It was, a, it was a lot of that kind of sentiment to me from the outside. That is how I perceive it from the research I've done. So now over a century after the Canadian government enforced these hellholes, they are facing this reckoning. And it's important that they are held to the fire for this because while the practitioners of the church used their hands to cause the abuse, it was at the direction of the government. So not only did they ignore it, they also caused it in the first place. And again, I say this is somebody from the outside. On paper, Canada looks like it's super chill, like yeah. hang loose, man. Whatever religion, it's not whatever, not my problem. Maple syrup and healthcare, mm-hmm. you know. But oopsie, you got all these dead kids on your hands. Yeah, and a genocide. Yeah, and it's there's so few mentions even at all in Canadian religion on the the Canadian religion Wikipedia. They don't even really mention anything about this whole circumstance, even though there were hundreds of thousands of people forced into Christianity during this time. So they, it's not even really mentioned at all on their Wikipedia page about it. What? So is it because of racism? Well, if it walks like a duck and it sounds like a duck. From the book we're about to discuss, in 1920, Duncan Campbell Scott, head of the Department of Indian Affairs, directed that all Native children between the age of 7 and 15 were to attend Indian residential schools. He stated before the House of Commons, I want to get rid of the Indian problem. Our objective is to continue until there is not a single Indian in Canada that has not been absorbed into the body politic and that there is no Indian question and no Indian department. And that is the whole object of this bill. This is, so it's a disease. They, ca- they call it essentially, I mean, that is what they they regard the uh, First Nations people in this time period. I mean, like yeah. This, like this irritation. The people them. that were there first? Like, yeah. we got to get them out of here? Yeah. What are, you, what are you talking about? And not only get them out of here, like, if you want to stay, you have to erase your identity. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. So this was in 1920, and residential schools were already happening at this time. But this guy, this fucking Scott piece of work here, Duncan Scott, he made it a thing that was, like, very enforced, where before – and this is according to – I've read a few books about, like, personal memoirs. So the one that I'm going to talk about first, this book's called Broken Circle, and it's by a man named Theodore Fontaine. And he grew up inside of the residential schools in the late 40s and 50s, just like his parents did before him. And so – when his dad was in residential schools, he says that it was more lax. Like you could go to these schools and learn like reading and writing and stuff if you wanted, but then you didn't, you weren't really f- 
kind of like forced to stay or keep forced to put your kids in. And then when this guy rolled in, he was like, no, 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 we need all of them to go. Well, and it, I'm sure it just got way worse. The- it, yeah, it got worse. Something must have happened to him as a kid. Something happened to him and then he just turned hateful. I don't know. I saw pictures of him. He looks like a fucking Weasley little turd. Yeah. He's got a pencil head. Mm. So... His particular school, Theodore's, um, was called Fort Alexander, and it's it was in the province of Manitoba. Now, what is a province? Just a piece of land? Yeah, it's basically like a state. Okay. And in Canada, it's like, this one's cold as fuck. This one's cold as shit. <laughs> so his particular school was called Fort Alexander, and it was in the province of Manitoba, which is basically dead smack in the middle of Canada. It's the the province that's like, not west or east, really. It's is it right of, by that water bar, body water? No, that's that's British Columbia over okay, there okay. by Highway 13 or Highway 16. Oh, no, the one in the middle, right? Oh, yeah. Because I bet that's cold as hell by that water. Kind of like how Chicago gets colder than New York sometimes. I don't know if there is a warm part of Canada. No. Canadians out there, if you know. I don't think there's any warm part. <laughs> We're just shitting on the cold this whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm, I hate colds, and I will stand behind my feelings on yeah. that. I mean, if I'm in a fur coat, which I'm sure indigenous people had because yes. they knew how to dress appropriately for yes. this, sure, I'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, you got definitely got to cover yourself in thick yeah. furs. Yeah, but I'm a California girl. I like wearing heels and like little mini skirts. I can't yeah. wear that in Canada. No, we're fragile little people. We couldn't do it. Yeah, so... He wrote, basically wrote a memoir in 2010 talking about his experiences and his family's experiences. So he writes, the residential school system was established in Fort Alexander in 1905. Dad, born in 1900, was among its first students. Although he learned to read and write, he wasn't there long. Parents then had more control and say over the fate of their children and saw the need for only basic skills like reading, writing, arithmetic. So it ramped up in the 20s like we just I just was telling you about. Despite Theodore's dad's misgivings and resistance to put all his kids through the system, the church and its various local infiltrations eventually would wear him down. Theodore writes, I'm sad now to think that dad eventually succumbed to the system and quietly surrendered to the notion that the government controlled Indian people and that the Department of Indian Affairs was the boss. Steady work at the mill meant he no longer had to be away from family for long, but it also meant he was more accessible and he was slowly drawn into church activities. This is what I can only personally describe as indoctrination. Um, yeah. It's like the wearing down of defiance. It's water torture. Just slowly, slowly just wear you down, break your will. Yeah. So with increased involvement, he was subjected to church teachings. It's unfortunate that mom and dad, because of their residential school experiences and the church's presence in the community, became not only God-fearing but also church-fearing. The respect and awe in which our people held the clergy was mostly based on fear of damnation and the devil. Clergy took advantage of it. The church's word became God's word, no matter how wrong or right. And let's be honest, it was really the preacher's words. Yes. It wasn't God's words. Right, exactly. God is a beautiful being that created black holes and rainbows and butterflies and doesn't kill children. Yeah. This is definitely a bunch of very flawed people who, as we'll talk about, Maybe I'm sure some of them thought that they were doing the right thing, but it, there was not very much of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like a lot of very angry people. Yeah. Um, but so but he goes on then basically to describe they would tell stories to people, um, you know, the basic cliche 
well, I know this man, he didn't go to confession and then his tits exploded, you know, those kind of stories. Yeah. So they would tell these stories to people in the community and they started to believe them because the clergy was so confident in their righteousness. So I had a girl in my high school that uh, they said her boyfriend put tuna in her vagina and ate her out and he didn't eat it all out. So she had worms in her pussy. And it was just like, a so don't have sex, girls like that. (laughs) Do they think that's what... Basic sexes? I think so. You got to put a little fish in there? A little can of tuna in there. I I will say that's not a good idea. No. And I don't think that happened. You know, I don't don't know. Didn't everybody have a weird sex rumor about somebody in their school about them putting something weird in their pussy? Yes. Because we did. What was yours? Uh, A girl putting a banana in her pussy. And it came out like a banana's foster? (laughs) I don't think anybody was that creative at my school, <laughs> but I'm certain that didn't happen. And it sucks for her because, you know, that was like middle school, which is the worst. Yeah. So, yes, the, the, these these sort of, you know, stories, which is, I think, true of any religion really will have these sort of like tales. But this was very intense and very – they focused on the fear of the eternal torture part of it. So – Ted goes on to talk about the front of his classroom. There was a picture of a sun representing God, and underneath it was a dark hole with people reaching out in pain, which represented hell. And in the middle was earth with two ladders coming out of it, one up and one down. And it was at the front of his class every day. Was hell prominently a part of your religious studies? Yeah, it was a lot of like you go to fire, very fire and brimstone. And then we would have these revivals, these like tent revivals where you'd go outside and it was just like, you're all going to hell. And I was just like, I'm not having a good time. Can I just get the food afterwards? But you got to have snacks after? Yeah. Well, to be honest, the food was really good. I bet. Southern food. Yeah. Mac and cheese, fried chicken. It was all really good. Yeah. Well, these kids didn't get that uh, that part of it, but they they definitely got the the fear put into them. Uh, Which is abuse. Absolutely. I'm still, you know, I'm such a newbie to religion in a lot of ways that I'm still kind of taken aback at how much it is about torture porn. It is torture porn. And it's all done by the church, you know, like, uh, like I remember because we'd have good food at home and uh, the prayers were real quick when the food was good. It was just, <laughs> Lord, my saying for which better receive Christ's sake, amen. That's yeah. it. And yeah, then yeah. boom, you get down on the yams. But yeah. when it was done at church, it was like a two hour long prayer. Yeah. It's like, give me the chicken. Yeah. You had to be nice and afraid before you had your chicken. Yeah. So this is the fact they, they use the threat of hell to basically control this community of indigenous people. And I say community, I mean the entire country of indigenous people. Of a, a whole people that were there. Yes. Every tribe, basically. So and like I said, since priests and nuns pronounced themselves that they were God's voice, they announced that they were God's voice so confidently the people just accepted it. And it is really incredible how much you can convince people to do stuff if you just are confident in what you're saying. It doesn't have to even be real. Yeah. And you just do it over and over and over mm-hmm. again. It, it is. I mean, it happens all the time still. It's very, it's not just religious either. You know, you can just, you know, a fucking liar who just has made you do a bunch of shit. And then you're just like, what? Wait, how did that happen? How am I in this dumpster? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what they were doing. So Fontaine says his mother was 
persuaded to believe that having her children under the church's exclusive authority was what the creator wanted. She thought that church officials and their helpers were infallible. Unwavering conviction like hers made it easier for the federal government and the church to control and weaken her people. Mom and dad had never been subjected to Roman Catholic church teachings before they went to residential school, so everything they heard was new and had to be true in their eyes because priests said they represented Jesus Christ and God, who to us was the same as the creator. Mom and my aunts told stories of sermons that illustrated the dire consequences that could follow if they oppose the church's representatives, like we were just talking about. I mean, imagine like growing up and there's no heaven or hell. You're like very earth-based. And then someone comes along and says, oh, there's this very scary place that you will go to when you die if you don't follow me. Yes. Look at this. Look at all these pictures of these people having a bad time and it's fire. And look at these. Look how scary how scary and how bad everything is. Wouldn't you be like, holy shit? Yeah. What? I mean, that's what happened in... That is powerful. I That would be terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> that would be... Young or old, that's a horrible, scary thing to say to people, especially with such authority when there's nobody on, on this fucking planet, on God and Satan's green earth that can tell you for sure what happens after we die. Yeah, no one knows. So, but, you know... Religion is often used to control masses, and this is what happened here, whether or not some of those people did actually believe what they were saying. So another notable thing that Fontaine points out is that, like we mentioned before, the stereotype uh, – when we mentioned this on the Highway of Tears series, I should say – the stereotype of indigenous people being alcoholics really stems from the coping of pain from this sort of abuse. Yeah, The Canadian government like to deem their community sickly, he states, federal and provincial – Government documents assess the disease burden, quote unquote, of First Nations people as much higher than that of the general population. Interesting. Well, I guess if you take uh, people's children and then throw them, like take them away, rip them away from them, some of them don't come back. Oh, they died over in this next province. You can't see them again. Maybe they might turn to alcohol. Maybe. Yeah. And that's, I'm sure it's not all of them, but... <laughs> uh, not only... Yeah, exactly. It's not even all of them. I'm sure like no. some did, and then somebody saw it, and they're like, oh, they all do this now. Yeah. Oh, they're... Oh, what are they, sad about something? Not only that, but what's not described in this sweeping statement that was made is that while they forced the communities to change their habits, their diets, lifestyles, they did not provide them with the adequate health care. So they were sanctioned off to the quote-unquote Indian side of the hospital, which was subpar, and the kids in the residential schools were not given comprehensive dental care most of the time and, and health care, which I can tell you from my personal experience can not only ruin your goddamn week, but can also be life-threatening. Uh, it can make a person physically weak. Yeah. Um, if you change someone's diet, they're going to get cavities. They're going to have, like, the way they chew, their teeth are going to be affected. And if you have— And their guts, yeah. Their guts. And if you have problems with your teeth or your digestive system, you're fucked, man. I'm a little baby. It hurts. Uh, yeah. So this sucks. So uh, as he says in the book, some of the stuff he talks about reads like body horror. It's like Dr. Giggles shit. So he goes on, at my school, as in most residential schools, we were seen by a dentist once a year. 
In our case, it was Nurse D. She appeared every September or October and again in late spring. She stayed for two or three weeks and treated half the children on each visit. I don't know if she was actually a dentist or not. Whoa. We called her Nurse D because that was what she was called in the announcement about her visits. She arrived with dental tools, mostly pliers and drills. Whoa. She had dirty blonde hair, and although she was not large and most likely was loved by her husband and children, she struck fear into even the big boys. She must have tried to save teeth, as her drill was always whirling. If you were unfortunate enough to be next in line, waiting outside her room, you could hear it and want to run away. She didn't use painkillers to dull pain. At least once or twice during your fixing and cleaning, as she called it, she would touch a nerve with the drill. Women say childbirth is the ultimate in painful experiences, but I think having nerve endings in your teeth touched by a drill or squirted with cold water probably loses by only a nose or a tooth. Oh, my God. I'm, like, squirming in my chair. Yeah. Just this fucking psycho. This, she's a serial killer. And and that's the thing is, like, you know not every person in these situations were psychopaths, but— you look at these moments, like the way you look at Nazis, and there's some people who are just, quote unquote, following orders, but they know this is wrong. Yeah, you know this is wrong. You're treating these kids like they're like they're animals. Like, so they would, they'd get mad, too, if you cried or screamed. They would, like, slap you. So he would go on to say, like, well, as you get older, I didn't want people to think I was a sissy, so I would hide my reactions. But you'd still, he would still cry because, I mean— People were like, this was like waiting to be tortured, and you knew that was coming every six months. And so it would cause people to like have meltdowns and stress and stuff. And when you were informed that she was coming, you would try to fake it and say, I think I was there the last one, but people would not, you know, teachers wouldn't fall for it. So I personally am going to go ahead and agree with Fontaine on this one, Theodore. I used to get kidney stones as a teenager, and they compare that to having childbirth. It's so excruciating. I would be in the fetal position for, you know, eight hours plus, and I would still be throwing up from the pain. But I think I would still choose that over getting my teeth drilled with no Novocaine. Yeah. I mean, the amount of dental work that I've gotten done and how sick it's made me before, like— this is a nightmare, and it's on children. This is children that's happening to. Like, I know that in the 50s it wasn't modern dentistry, but it was well beyond this point. They, they could have easily, they could have easily given them painkillers or knocked them out. They could have easily done it. So, and though the government insisted they adhere to the settlers' diet, they didn't provide again the care needed in such a transition. So we could look at these stereotypes with a wider lens and go, oh, if you had this quote-unquote fucking disease burden, it was of the government's own making and it was at the expense of these kids. Fontaine certainly theorized that the source of ill health in his community stems directly from residential schooling. He goes on to talk about their diet in the schools, which would often be only porridge in the mornings and slices of lard at dinner. They would also gather up like the grease from the meats that the teachers ate. And that, if the kids got that, it was like a big treat for them because basically they gave them like a meat grease soup because it tasted like meat. But they would be excited because that's how shitty the diet was. So Yeah, it's going to affect your teeth. And your stomach. So yeah, me, and also, I mean, they were giving them pure saturated fat because it was filling, but then a lot of them had heart problems <laughs> later on because they fucking clogged their arteries. So 
it like that shit just so gross. Like it reminds me of that scene in Snowpiercer when they did you ever see Snowpiercer? Oh, with the uh, bugs, the, like, the cubes, and then they go in the room and they find out where the bugs are being fucking. Yeah. yeah. So was it the fault of the government or the church here, or was it the meme of the two Spider Mans pointing at each other? Fontaine suggests in his own experience that he believes the school, that's the church, kind of cooked the books and lied to the government about how much they were spending slash giving to the kids. But the government also seemed fine with it and never never really checked and never intercepted. So both were bad. Uh, He also goes on to point out the kids and often their parents developed what we know now as Stockholm Syndrome before that was even a term to the Mm -hmm. priests and the nuns. It's really pretty common, as we know, in in a cycle of abuse, especially if you're told that these people are God, they're anointed, you know? So the amount of mindfuckery. Yeah, you're like, I guess this is life. Yeah, I guess this is good because these are God's people, so this is what God wants. Did the devil put these people on this earth to make people hate God? I think the devil gets a bad rap, so... (laughs) You know that about me, Amber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know... The, the way that I have heard many people discuss what God is, like you've said, sounds to me like hell. So I'm sure if there is an omnipotent being out there somewhere, they're not. this is not what that thing is asking you to do to children. No, they don't want you feeding them slices of lard and torturing them at the dentist. No. They don't want you doing that. They don't. This is just sick people. To me, it would seem if it was a, uh, a truly good omnipotent force that they wouldn't care if you did exact prayers and wore the right outfits. It would be that if you were loving to the earth and to each other and respectful. And if you worshipped under a different name, it wouldn't matter because this is Sears obviously about control and about power. This is about eradicating an entire race of people. Yes. But he's still, you know, he's just this, the book is written with such grace and he talks about how, he thinks often about if there were not some of those who are at least partly kind in the school because they really believe they were helping. And he hopes that that's true. Like even when he was talking about that, the horrible dentist, he was like still talking about her in these humanistic ways, being like she probably has a family who loves her, but she was doing these terrible things. And yeah. And it was normalized. I know people who were abused and the way they speak about their abuser is just like, well, he did the best he could. Like mm-hmm. they're making excuses. Yeah. Because you just, you this is the life you were raised. Yeah, for sure. And with him, with Fontaine, I, I do think it comes from a, a place of um, perspective now that he he was a much older man and, and just the level of grace that maybe those people don't didn't earn, but he's giving it anyway because he's probably a better person than... Maybe that lady was. So even if there were people who did come from a kind place and there were a few people who they always, in these books I've read, will mention, like, there was people who expressed kindness there, but it wasn't nearly enough care and concern to combat the anger and resentment and terror that was directed at these kids by adults. Yeah. And of course, and I hate to say of course, uh, but there was sexual abuse. Fontaine described a particular father. He calls Father P, who would insist on he would call the boys privately one at a time every other week or so, and he would, quote unquote, clean the boys' genitals, which is such a bizarre, uh, horrible thing to do. And he would do it to the youngest boys until they got old enough to fight back. What? 
So he would just do this thing where kids would get called. They would know what it meant. They would get called out of class, and these boys would have to go face this horrible man. Who's just probably, like, doesn't bathe. He was just being disgusting. Riddled with skin tags. He wasn't helping. He knew he wasn't doing I mean, it was, yeah. it was so this man could get it off. And then there was – he also mentioned an, another teacher who would make the boys – come into his classroom like alone and and he would he would like masturbate in front of them. So this is only just this one gentleman's experience. I'm sure there are just hundreds yeah. upon hundreds of these experiences. And especially for a man to come out cuz usually men don't want to mm. come out with this kind of stuff cuz you're conditioned to be brave all the time. And this means you're in a position where something bad happened. Mm-hmm. You know, that's outside of your control. So I'm sure this it took happened. him many decades to come. Oh, up. Yeah. yeah. Many. And I'm sure this just was more rampant than we ever thought. Oh, yeah. So due to the actions of many people, but definitely especially that Scott son of a bitch in 1920, he, and he insisted on having these kids forced into the schools. The number of children who died in these schools in the 20s and 30s was nearly 50% of the attendance. Half. So say like 20 kids come in, 10 kids come out? Yeah. The death toll was estimated at 50,000 children. That is a genocide. Don't even get it twisted. That is ethnic cleansing. That's a genocide. It's a disregard for human life. And it's not even on their Wikipedia page. No, I mean, it's like talking about, yeah, the Canadian religion Wikipedia page doesn't even talk about it. Hey, come up to Canada. We got maple syrup. We got some forests. Yeah. And, you know, this is not – we're going to be talking about a lot of stories in America, obviously, and that are also secular. This isn't me just, like, trying to rail. This isn't my propaganda against the church. It's just another thing that happened to be through the church, uh, that like, our last series. And yeah. uh, There's lots of people – as long as somebody's using power to control and manipulate others, we'll talk about it. Yeah. It just so happens – it just happens to be – Christianity, these two episodes, these two things. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely going to make sure I don't make every episode about that. There's plenty of, you know. There's plenty of horrible people in the world. Everywhere. Don't worry. Don't worry, guys. (laughs) Don't worry. There's nowhere that's safe. Um, There's lots of safe places and lots of safe people like we talked about. I think maybe it was only on Instagram, but it sometimes can feel really overwhelming. And then you have to go, well, no, it's just because the worst people have to be discussed. The most normal people are just living their lives and being kind and then – we don't have to worry about them, unfortunately, um, but they should be celebrated. Yes. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. 
So the graves they've just found or discovered using ground-penetrating radar, which is a relatively new technology that detects bodies underground without digging into the earth. The technology came from the 1900s, but it was really developed in the 80s and 90s. Now it's used for a lot of different things, but one of those is grave detection or uh, sometimes locating a body during a criminal investigation. Like say you're in the swamps and you're like, there's just a lot to cover. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah, basically. You need solidish ground because it's almost like a little lawnmower. But yeah, that definitely like, you know, big, wide forest, swampy areas and stuff. So the technology, even though this is not, it's. I was going to say it's pretty cool. I mean, the technology is cool. The act is not, but it's almost, it's like, that you look at this image and it's almost, it seems to me like you, how you would read a, a lie detector test. You're looking for these specific inconsistencies in this image, but you have to be able to understand how to read it, you know? But you can watch videos of it online. It's really, it's really interesting. It has about a 90% accuracy rate, which is to say that if it detects a certain number of graves, the professionals using the equipment may be off by numbers a little, but still pretty close. So they've done tests in recent years where they've, done they've ran over like cemeteries they knew existed just to test test the technology out and they would get it to like you know it was like 73 out of 75 they were exactly correct where the bodies were laid wow so some of these sites that they are now locating and this is as far as the what i've been able to find on articles it was to an extent an independent search within the communities and partly maybe connected to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that they started looking for these to see if they could find graves on near the locations of these schools. Even though the schools, a lot of them have been raised and destroyed, they know roughly where they were. And so I think that this was mostly carried out by independent groups within the indigenous community to see what they found. And unfortunately, what they have found is a lot of graves that they don't have accounting for. It's a lot. And of course, it was um, done by an independent company yeah. and not by like the Canadian government or the church. It's been like, how many people did we kill? Yeah. The response that the church has done in modern time is kind of a bummer. Um, they did this thing, I think in like, I want to say 2008, where they held a thing and they were sort of like, sorry. Sorry about that. And then all the go the politicians like plotted the church and they were like, you're so brave. Some half-ass thing. Yeah, it, it's, it sucked. Um, you get donuts at the end. Kind of. And medium, like lukewarm coffee. Yeah. It's like that kind of service. And then they, they get an award for being so brave to talk about it. You know what I mean? Like they're just like, it was pretty, it was, it seemed pandering to me again. This is me again, my personal opinion and also from the extreme outside, but so these sites that they've found, some of them were once marked, like with uh, usually with pretty cheap wooden crosses and granted without their family's permission or blessings. But they were marked at some were marked at one time, but lost over just the sands of time. Others were never marked in the first place. You know, we've talked about this. I'm not one who I believe we need to preserve our bodies in these like non-degradable caskets. Like we've talked about um, on the show, Amber, but this isn't about they didn't do this to preserve nature. This is about disregard. These families weren't even given the option of burying their children that these people killed. These people who killed their kids buried them in the way of their choosing and in, of their gods. So their grave sites were not documented or honored in any sort of way. 
It's almost as, as if the people who perpetrated these crimes wanted to erase it and just these kids and act like it never happened, like trying to just make it erase it from history. Yeah, like you caught me doodling in class. And I was like, oh, I didn't. And just like hide it real quick on yeah. my desk. Yeah. Except it's a human life. Uh, many, many human lives. Yes. But that's how they it seems to me that's sort of how they were behaving. And you know what? It wasn't found until today. Yeah. So they did just for a long time get away with it. Yep. The National Post also has this crazy story in relation to it. Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Regina confirmed that in the 1960s, grave markers at the Melieval Parish Cemetery were destroyed by a priest who was angry with the then chief of Caucasus First Nation. Regarding removal of gravestones and markers, Cowessis has told us that in the midst of a dispute in 1960 between one of the Oblate priests and the Cowessis chief, the priest bulldozed several grave markers in a way that we find entirely reprehensible, a spokesperson with the Archdiocese told the National Post. I could just imagine a priest on a bulldozer himself. Fucking psycho, man. He's been like, I'll do it myself. I'll cover it up myself. It's so fucking crazy. What a lunatic. What a lunatic. So... That was a lot of that came from Theodore Fontaine's experiences and his families. There's also uh, a really lovely, it's a very tragic book called They Called Me Number One by Bev Sellers. Bev Sellers attended St. Joseph's Mission Residential School, a place just a bit south of where old Highway 16 sits now. So the Highway of Tears is right above where she was in residential school, and that's on the west side over uh, in British Columbia. Bev, though in a different part of that country and a member of a completely different tribe and during a different decade, her story rings depressingly similar in many ways to Theodore's, at least as far as the school went. While Theodore went to school in the 40s and 50s, Bev went to school in the 60s. While she didn't live far from her home, like Fontaine, she was given few opportunities to see her family. This was done on purpose to fully immerse them in white culture. She writes, No one asked our parents or grandparents if they wanted their children to attend the school. Grandma always said to Mike, Bobby, and me, I sure hate to send you kids back to the mission, but if I don't, they will put me in jail. Graham knew that this was no idle threat. Others in our area had been sent to jail because they would not surrender their children. Give your kids to the state. After I had children of my own, and especially as they approached the age when they would have been taken away from me, I realized the heartache that sending us away must have caused Graham, Mom, and others. I would have moved to the ends of the earth to avoid having my kids taken from me. Taking my kids away would have been the worst thing that anyone could have ever done to me. It would have left me emotionally crippled, and many, as many parents did, I might have tried to ease the pain and guilt with drugs or booze. So, I mean, can you imagine, like, you give birth to a beautiful baby, and you count the little ten fingers, ten toes, and the chubby little smile, and it's just a ticking time bomb to when they're seven years old, mm-hmm. and yeah. you're just, just waiting. And Bev talks about in her book, it changed in her lifetime, but in— her life, when she was first starting out at the school, it wasn't that they were just insisting that the kids go to a school. They were insisting they go to these boarding schools. To a torture school. So it wasn't like, oh, you just don't want your kid to learn anything. It's like they were given an option to do day school, homeschool, nothing. It was like, your kids must be ripped from your home. You cannot do anything else or we'll put you in jail. And this was in the 60s. 
This was in the 19 fucking 60s. And like you could say, like, why don't you get up and move? Do you know how expensive it is to move? Yeah, you can't do that. Especially, I mean. And so, so people, why should they move from where they're from? It's their, with their tribe and their community, their entire lives and their families have been in this, on this land for fucking hundreds of generations, you know? Like she, so within that, Bev then describes having her head shaved and having a pesticide that has since been illegalized dumped onto her head. Shaving the head, that is a form of humiliation. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's, well, as we'll just, we'll hear in a second. She, like all the kids, were assigned a number instead of a name. And she was number one, as the title of her book suggests. And the faculty only referred to the kids in this manner thereafter. Dehumanizing people. Mm -hmm. Dehumanizing, number one. Like, no, that's not my name. So these people, these calling these kids that you see every day and interact with numbers, get out of here with that shit. You know who else made people numbers and shaved their heads? Nazis. This is so, so many mirror, like, and actually, Ted, I can't, you know, I recommend you guys read these books, but like in Ted's book, he was like, I always try to think in perspective, and I know that somebody else had it worse than me. And, and so I visited um, one of the Holocaust Museum areas in, in Germany, and he was like, and I know that they had this nightmare scenario, but I still connected with the way their eyes looked. Like, their eyes reminded me of a lot of my loved ones. Yeah. Because there's a lot of similarities in there. Did you see that? I think there's a picture of this Jewish girl. They asked her to draw a picture of home, and it's just chaos. It's just black chaos. There's oh, no God. home. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. No, Again, no, I'm sorry, sorry, everybody. This is just I'm such sorry. a hard deep dive. But we got to talk about We got to do it. This is like, you know, it's... It's hard for us to talk about it, but it's a lot harder for people to have to live through it and then just have people ignore it. Yeah, you know? we're just now finding these gravestones. Yeah. Just now. How long has this been going on? How many dead children? These are dead, innocent children. Yeah. So she eerily describes the same beating. So like I was just saying, she had all these really interestingly similar, creepily similar, eerily similar, same instances in her story, she describes the same beating implement as Ted did in his book, which is a strip of leather cut from a conveyor belt. Her tortures are so similar in some circumstances, it seems kind of likely that these were concerted efforts, not impulsive actions upon people within the, the school. It wasn't like, you know, oh, this person was just like um, unstable. It was like, they seemed like they had some sort of fucking meetings or something to talk about these things. Um, because she was in an entirely different part of Canada in a different decade. Um, they just had this meetings in the mouth of hell. Yeah. Like, they all just right. all met. Down, they climbed down that ladder in the picture. And yeah. they're like, now what? Now, how can we make this as bad of a time as possible? So during Bev's time and place, apparently the school was being paid per student. So they would go round up any kids who were being hidden by their parents. And so their grades were all filled with different ages. Bev's whole family, as far back as her grandmother, rarely spoke their birth languages even into adulthood because the languages were literally beaten out of them. Bev's principal also was eventually investigated for child sexual abuse. Um, man, fuck all these people, man. I know. I just, I'm going to just burn it to the ground. Um, we're going to close it up here pretty soon. I just wanted to give, Bev has a good example of manipulation and brainwashing in her book, how in these these schools, they got so few options to have decent food that 
they would get these rewards. And one of the times they would get food rewards was when they were given confirmation. So it was like, you know, when you take like a a name of a saint, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in order to get these special meals, they would have to kind of sign themselves over to this and do this, go through the, the confirmation and all that stuff. And the kids would just... They wanted to have the food so badly. Sounds they would like, like Scientology too. Yes. Yeah. For sure. So they would they would do like, like, yes, 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 I'll do this. I'll do the communion, whatever you need me to do. And so she writes, finally, we were led into the dining room where two tables, one on the boy's side and one on the girl's side, were each set with white tablecloth and a vase of flowers. And there was the breakfast we were waiting for, cornflakes, toast, and orange and juice. As kids, we were fed garbage all year, and we savored the simple meal like it was a breakfast fit for kings and queens. To this day, I'm not sure I do, nor do I care what the significance of either ceremony was, but I remember thoroughly enjoying that special breakfast. That's what abusers do. Yeah. They like punish, punish, punish. Okay, oh, you did the one thing I liked? Okay, here, I'll be nice to you. Yeah. And, and the idea, too, of conflating it with, like, you want them to convert to this idea that you have of religion, but the way that you do it is to bribe them by first starving them and then offering them this basic breakfast because they're willing to sign themselves over to this. Like, how is that actually bringing souls to your church or whatever? No, yeah, they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, sure, I guess, whatever. Like, they're not... They just want the breakfast. Yeah, they're not stoked to be a Christian. No. They could give a shit. No, like she just said, I don't even know what the ceremony was about. I don't care. I just wanted... I was so excited for the cereal and toast. So can you imagine they get to heaven and they're like, "You got in heaven." She's like, "What? I don't care." What? Oh, I don't. I don't even. I don't even give a shit. <laughs> I just wanted the fucking cereal. Is there cereal here? The stories Bev has are really heartbreaking and sickening, and I definitely recommend her book. Most of the guys who she mentions in her book who did sexual assault and in Ted's faced no consequences and were in fact promoted to bishops. Mm. Um, oh, give them a promotion. Yep, they. That's how it goes. Uh, so. For also, I wanted to throw out for a really good comprehensive guide, um, you can check out A Knock on the Door, An Essential History of Residential Schools. And this is edited and put out through that Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, it's really good for dum dums like me and for people also who, like me, who uh, are visual learners. They have maps, and that's the map from the, what I was showing you, Amber. And they have like timelines that are really clear. So it can kind of help you wrap your head around all of it. Um, you can get it anywhere. It's pretty easy to find. And so now it's maddening, it's but it's really it's really good to get wrap your head around it and try to understand this. And these newly discovered graves are part of a currently ongoing investigation. We don't know what else they're going to uncover or how long it might take to identify these people. But I do hope that this spotlight will continue to shine and allow for reparations to flow for all these families who had to suffer through this. Perhaps give some of them a closure if they can be if some of these people can be identified. At least they know where their ancestors' remains are resting, and they can maybe put them in a place that they would prefer. I would want that. Yeah. So I, you know, I hope that this can at least provide just like a touch of of healing for people. On this episode, we, I wanted to uh, highlight the organization Indian Residential School Survivor Society. If you care to donate and join join us in donating, or you know, 
no no pressure ever to do that, but I just like to throw them out there so you can check them out. I'll post it in our story. Thank you guys for getting us over 10,000 followers so I can post links and stories now on Instagram. The website is irsss.ca backslash donate, but I will post it in our socials. And um, yeah, thank you guys for listening to this. Just I, I really I want us to kind of just, you know, Learn about these yeah. things. It's important. It's important. And it's heart-wrenching, but at least there's like action, active steps we can be taking. Right. And like there's things people are doing because if we were just, if we were just be like, this shit sucks, went, went, then yeah. you just kind of end this episode with blue balls and you're just like, wait a minute, like what can I do? But these yeah. are like active steps we can all take. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the whole thing they did before with the, they had the recovery circle in 2008 or whatever and just like. Oh man, that was bad. And you're like, you fucking, you're, <laughs> you guys committed fucking genocide. This like is genocide. This is, this is beyond the pale. Like it's beyond comprehension how awful it is. And so you need to face it and deal with it and accept that this really happened. And I think that's why it's good to read some of these memoirs too, because then you really, it's not just this idea. You can like walk down the steps of these people's lives and and hear hear what they want to tell you. Yes. Basically. Um, so yeah, that's that's it for this week. We're going to be talking about a different case next week. And uh, follow us at someplace underneath and follow me at the Natty Jean. And Amber Smelson. For Amber. I'm glad go have a good brighter side episode now and thanks. It's all about positivity. <laughs> Are you feeling great? Yep. All right. <laughs> Stay greasy. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 